That groovy painting is an original painting that was done for me by Chad Elliott, and he did a Kickstarter for one of his albums, and you could commission an original piece of art for him. And I asked okay. him, I asked him to paint me a picture that kind of represents how I receive music and then how I send it back out into the world. So that's kind of what okay. he with. You can see you know, the music's yeah. coming in my ears and then it goes out, goes out of my heart. <laughs> All right, Big City, yeah. Kansas City, how are you feeling? Welcome to Center Cuts, episode number 11. Today is January 19th, 2021. We have Ms. Diana Ennis, co-founder and director of Heartland Song Network with us today. How are you doing, Diana? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you. Um, of course, as always, we've got our producer, Chris Mowry, running the my cleaning up my mistakes and uh, we're zooming so thanks you all for bearing with us but diana has been battling currently covid you said day 16 right now um it's day 14 since i tested positive but i probably had it a couple days before then so, okay yeah oh well, i wouldn't recommend it <laughs> You wouldn't recommend doing this podcast or no, i wouldn't <laughs> recommend getting covid <laughs> you can definitely Okay. Well, we appreciate you being a trooper. We, we kind of thought it might be timely to do our episode now. We've got a lot of stuff happening. Um, Diana not only works with Heartland Song Network, she also um, has Tasty Brew program on KKFI every Tuesday morning. She's got her own podcast. She does a whole bunch of things. And I thought maybe rather than talk about our concert calendar right now, since it's not really existent, What's, what's on your radar for the next month, two months, year, Diana, whether it's personally through Heart and Sun Network, something you're looking forward to, anything at all you want to talk about? Well, personally, I'm, I'm ready to get back into the radio studio. I've taken the last three weeks off and other folks have been covering for me while I recover from COVID and I really miss it. So I'm really mm -hmm. looking forward to it. I'll be back next week on the air doing a couple of shows um, KKFI has had to, like a lot of radio stations, especially community radio stations, has had to pivot and learn how to do a lot of uh, broadcasting remotely. And we have had, you know, COVID going through the, the volunteer staff. And so we're constantly covering for each other. And it's been a real, um, it's been a real thing, you know, to be able to continue. And, and now that this has dragged out for, you know, nine or 10 months, um, it's, it's a real challenge every week uh, and to, to, to broadcast 24 seven every day, um, under those circumstances, but, um, it's a family, it's a village and, uh, we're, we're trying to help each other out as best we can. And so I'm so very grateful to have had people being able to cover for me for the last three weeks. Yes. And I listened this morning. I mean, I remember back in March, you all shut down. So you're doing it from home. Then there was probably what, a couple months, I think, where maybe you could be in studio and then gone back to remote. But I know each week you've had someone fill in for you. I remember, um, I know Mark Manning had been doing that for Maria Vasquez Boyd earlier. It, like you said, it's a community. I mean, I, I, I'm sure it's like your baby. It's your program. Like, I want to do this, but 
I shouldn't do this right now. Well, I have been doing it for 10 years. And so there is kind of a cadre of other programmers or other DJs that I feel comfortable with turning the reins over to. Mm -hmm. And likewise, they feel comfortable having me um, so, because we, we are very proprietary about our shows. And um, it's, I don't worry about it because I literally have five or six people that know my aesthetic, know my audience and honor it. And generally when they cover for me, it's not that big a change, you know, from in, in terms of content. Hmm. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting back into the studio next week. As far as Heartland Song Network, right now we are focused on the Folk Unlocked, the Folk Alliance International uh, presentation of their conference, which will be virtual this year. It's in February. So we are very busy putting the finishing touches on our uh, spotlight showcase. We've been asked by Folk Alliance to present the Kansas City showcase this year, and we've recorded it. It's been edited and submitted. So I think we're kind of done with it, actually. Um, and uh, soon it we'll looked. be... Yeah, I think it turned out really well, and I think soon we'll be able to um, announce exactly when it's going to be available for registrants to see once the conference starts. What I'm working on also is a private showcase for Heartland Song Network. We've opened it up to all of our membership and really to anyone who wants to, to showcase during Folk Alliance. That's a little more tricky. It's a four hour private showcase every day of the conference. Um, and so it's a lot of work and um, there's a, a huge learning curve that each one of the individual artists is gonna have to get up to speed on on how to stream their show and how to pre-record it if they want to, or just the, 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 um, all of the technical aspects that they're going to have to become aware of and execute in order to have a successful, good looking uh, showcase. Because this is an industry event, you know, and you're wanting to put your best foot forward because you don't know who could be listening uh, or watching, but it's gonna be people that have actually registered for the conference and they're from all over the world and they're from all of the different disciplines. Uh, you know, the booking agents, the festival promoters, the venue owners, um, DJs. So it's a big deal. And that's kind of um, taking up a lot of our energy, but we're also in March going to be presenting uh, a, a tribute to Carol King honoring the 50th anniversary of the tapestry album. Awesome. And so we are going to be doing a live stream on that, a virtual show, uh, where essentially it's gonna be like a guitar pull where each artist that signs up gets one song and they will perform their song and then pass it off to the next person. And we'll be housing that event on our Heartland Song Network Facebook page. And then each individual artist will be doing it from their page as well. And I, ooh, I think that's March 21st. Um, and that will be coinciding again with the 50th anniversary of the Tapestry album by Carol King. That's March. Um, and in April, it will have been the one year anniversary of our founding. That's what so I was So we're thinking. gonna have a um, online virtual annual membership meeting, which we've never done before. Um, but other than that, we were just, we just had a, um, we just had a, board meeting last week and we were talking about what's next because we've conducted a survey um, through SurveyMonkey and sent it out to a lot of places and we've gotten a lot of that data back and 
we're trying to figure out, do we stay the course of what we've been doing for the last nine or 10 months? And that is having these collaboration exercises for our artists and um, just trying to stay the course with that people, trying to keep people connected and engaged. Because when we first started out a year ago, our intention, the only plan we really had was to um, take over a venue. We were going to do Ollie's Local on Monday nights and have songwriters come in a la Bluebird Cafe in Nashville and mm -hmm. try out new material on each other. And if you were having problems with a song and you wanted help with it or you just wanted to run it by somebody. And then we were going to interview or we were going to invite folks in the so-called industry to Ollie's on Monday night to watch and to um, help give these folks some feedback. And our original um, goal also was to have a folk alliance room when it came back to Kansas City. And those are really kind of the only two tasks or things that we had in our rate on our radar when we incorporated a year ago and it since has morphed into something you know way above and beyond that and um i'm so proud of the board and, and there's there's such an amazing collection of people and it's taken off into this thing where i mean it's a network we're wanting we're wanting to connect the dots uh, it doesn't matter what genre of music um we're not um you know, we're not have we don't have blinders on about what kind of music we want to represent. We just want to elevate the art of the song through education, collaboration, and mentorship. That's the mission. And as long as whatever activity that we plan or thing that we do fits into that mission, we're we're all for it. Um, we're we're so grateful for what you've started. So that's that was April. You said that will be the one year anniversary. Yeah, we we got our letter of designation from the IRS on April fourteenth in twenty twenty. Okay. Um, the genesis for the you know for the organization started at Folk Alliance last year in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. um, Danny had attended a, a panel that essentially um, was on the panel were people from all different walks or disciplines in the music industry. They had a booking agent, they had a road manager, they had a record, uh, record label person. And they ostensibly were supposed to be telling the artists in the audience what they were looking for, you know, what you should be doing. Um, and right away, the crowd kind of took over the, <laughs> the panel and said, look, I'm doing all this stuff and it's still not working. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I've hired a booking agent. I've got a social media director. I'm putting out new content every three months. You know, it's, I'm not making any progress um, mm -hmm. in terms of, of, uh, of scope or, or coverage or, you know, whatever it is, everybody was just real frustrated. Yeah. And that got Danny thinking, you know, I'm just going to go back to Kansas city and kind of ask our, our musician friends, what it is they feel like they need in order to be successful. What, what don't they have or what assets do they not have to help them get to the next level? If they want to do this, do this thing called music. And so he just put a post out on Facebook asking that question. And the response was so overwhelming. We got, 
we thought, you know, we need to do something about this. So we started having meetings in our living room and we invited, you know, 12 or 15 people from all walks of life and diverse backgrounds and ethnicities and genres of music. And within 30 days, we had the, you know, the nexus of the Heartland Song Network and our board and it just kind of took off. Chop, chop. Chop, chop, man. And we've been doing webinars every month, you know, online webinars. It's it's crazy. that's what I was saying, and you're, you're dipping into what I want to get into the meat of our program a little bit later. Just, just to kind of say, though, it's incredible how much you have been able to do this year, especially with COVID, but just, just getting started out. The things I just want to let our audience know again, February 22nd to, is that the, the 25th? The tw- Folk Unlocked is the February 22nd through the 25th. Okay, and so Heartland Song Network will have an a, official showcase. They invited six artists. They filmed two weeks ago at the MTH Theater. The performances are outstanding. And then in addition, if you're a member of Heartland Song Network, and it's just, we, we'll get into that maybe later, how someone can do that, uh, they're going to have presenter showcases, I suppose, each night running for like a four-hour span. And you could sign up to present in one of those 15-minute windows. Then you mentioned in March. What, do you have that date again for the Carol King I believe it's March 21st. Okay. Um, and it'll be, and we'll have an, uh, um, a Facebook event, um, the Heartland Song Network Facebook event. Okay. Um, and okay. Uh, we haven't, you know, tied up all of the details on how that's going to go. But if, if, if uh, any of your listeners are familiar with the sequestered songwriters out of Texas, they do essentially a, a virtual guitar pull every Monday night. And they have a different artist that they feature every every week. Like this week, it was Elvis Presley. And last week, it was Ralph Stanley. And the week before that, it was wow. Merle Haggard or something. And they have about 30 or 40 songwriters that sign up every week to participate. And they just go from one artist to the next. I kind of envision this being some, somewhat like that. We'll start with artist number one, who will do a Carol King song. They'll pass it off to artist number two. And if you're watching on Facebook, you'll just go to those individual pages or you'll be able to stay on the Heartland Song Network Facebook page and just keep refreshing your page and, and you'll be able to see it all. That's as fantastic. It progresses through the night. Yeah. Sounds a little bit, Chris, like um, Cover Me. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Cover Me, KC. Yeah, last year, meaning now in reality, two years ago, everybody, that was at Record Bar. I want to say they've been at the Brick maybe a couple times before that. And then this year they did something online where you could submit a song. It was at uh, the Westport Saloon the yeah. first time. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe even the first two times and then it moved to the record bar. Yeah, that was that was great fun where everybody took one song that somebody else did. Yeah. Somebody uh, Right. Yeah, local artists and they get to cover them. Yeah. It was uh especially the last year I believe that um oh gosh, now names are escaping me. Um it was just, it was great to um, see these artists, these uh, local artists cover other local artists and like have like a, maybe like a deeper understanding of the, of the songs as they, you know, worked on them themselves. Well, so. especially when the, the songwriter is in the audience, mm. having his, her, their song performed, you know, yeah. interpreted, that's just got to be. It's a special a moment. Trip. Like, yeah. wow, somebody knows my song. Yeah. Real quick, I just want to shout out Ollie's Local uh, because they had to close this year. Uh, So shout out to Eddie Crane and and Chris Graham and everybody that is involved in that that space. It's going to be missed for sure. 
you know, and we drove by, it's weird even getting out of the house, both of you, like I driving by venues that I would normally be around like two, three nights a week and just thinking what's going on in there. That's, I mean, that was a real yeah. hub I feel for artists here in Kansas city. Really the only times I went there was to meet an artist to talk about what they were doing and where they were going. Mm-hmm. Well, it was such a supportive atmosphere too. You know, if somebody wanted to get up for the first time, you know, mm-hmm. uh, their first open mic and never had done one before, um, everybody yeah. was so supportive. And we were really looking forward to taking, we asked Eddie, you know, what's your, the deadest night, you know, that you have, and would you be open to this? And he said, Monday night, and I would love for you guys to come in and do, you know, whatever it is you want to do, just let's, let's do it. So we were all, you know, it was going to happen. That's a super idea where, again, you've got people, whether they're with the media here, with record labels, or anybody, other musicians giving feedback to hone their craft. That no, really it wasn't going to be an open mic. It was not going to be an open mic. Understood. Yeah. You, know, you would get up and do one song at a time. And if there was time to get through to you the second go around, to get up and do a second or third song, uh, fine. But the purpose was going to be to try to help the songwriters hone their craft or to, you know, like the comedy, the stand-up comedians, they try out new material. They'll go to an open mic at one of the comedy clubs and try out their, their stuff. I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of what this was going to be like. And we still may do it, you know, we all can meet together someday again. We still have it on our radar to do that. talked a little bit about their plans for this year. Diana, I asked you when we were off air, are you from Kansas City? I'm not. Uh, I'm from Ohio originally. I lived there until I was in middle school. My dad worked for the railroad or a railroad his whole life and we kept getting transferred further west. We were transferred to St. Louis in the early 60s and I grew up there. I went to you know middle school, high school, started my first job, got married there. And the reason I ended up in Kansas City is uh, my first husband was transferred over here on business. And when we got divorced many moons ago, I just chose to stay here. I just really loved it. And um, in the interim, my, my dad got transferred down to Houston, Texas about the same time I moved over here. So my whole family's in Texas now and has been for the last 45 years. And, and I've been here. I'm the only one that's here. And I've had many opportunities to leave Kansas City. And I just never do. And here I am all these years later, and I don't have plans to go anywhere. 
When was that? Can you date that for us? Coming to yeah. Kansas City? When I came to Kansas City, 1973. Do you consider yourself a, I don't even know if I can find the right now, St. Louisian? <laughs> I do <you> not. <laughs> okay. I, mean, I, I lived in St. Louis for 10 years. And it was okay. really a formative part of my life. I mean, when I moved there in 1963, um, you know, the Beatles and all that started shortly thereafter. And I was at the age I think most of us come into our musical consciousness when we're in middle school or early high school. Um, and when I was that age is when the Beatles and the English invasion or the British invasion happened. Um, and so my earliest musical memories of, of, of um, really being into it was then, you know, the early 60s. My memory goes back farther than that in terms mm -hmm. of, of but um, my mom was a big band singer back in the 40s before I was born and I never got to see her perform but she sang around the house all the time and I thought everybody's mom could sing you know <laughs> mm, mm. and she was really she was really good um, mm. but I grew up appreciating um, jazz and big band music because that's um, that was her background but man i was a rock and roll babe <laughs> for years and years and years I, I i was lucky enough to you know to see red led zeppelin and the rolling stones and janice Joplin and all those folks back in the day can i ask about your mother did she not pursue that because of family or another yeah i mean she she married my dad was older and then she and they got married when she was very young and she started having children right away and i mean like had four children in six years and um so yeah the, the career uh went out the door. but he but he knew your father knew her when she was a singer though yeah, yeah. i'm sure that was part of the uh, godly was part of the attraction i just have always thought about that like people who i don't know if the word is sacrifice but make a life choice because of family um, well i think that also i mean without getting too much in the weeds about it my mother was in a horrible car accident when she was a teenager and mm. broke her pelvis and was out mm. of school for a couple of years and was in a lot of pain and had to have a lot of surgeries over the years and so really traveling on the road and being um, a full-time musician was not going to be in the cards for her. Understood. And you have to also understand, you know, this is the late 40s, early 50s, when, um, you know, the consensus for a lot of women was you get married and had kids and dropped out of the workforce. And that's, that's what she did when you have four kids in six years mm -hmm. and you're physically compromised like she was anyway. It was... Mm -hmm. I mean, I look back on it now, my mom died when she was 43 years old and I was 21 at the time and she had lived a really hard life by then. Mm -hmm. You know, her mm -hmm. body was like a 65, 70 year old woman by then. And um, it was, it was tough, but she was, I know now uh, she was a great singer. She was really, really good. That's fantastic. You, I mean, like you said, you probably just grew up thinking everybody's parent was, did your dad, was he music? My dad could not carry a tune in a bucket if you put a gun to his head. I mean, I used to hate standing next to him at church when it was time to sing. We were Methodists and we liked to sing a lot. Uh -huh. He could not stay on key if you were standing next to my dad when it was time to sing the hymns. He was just really awful. <laughs> I mean, and that's funny. I find a lot of couples that way where one is just a superstar, whether they are professionally trained or whatever, they're into music and the other person is just not so the cup of tea. 
where you're, you've got siblings? I think I saw I'm you the before. oldest. Yeah, I'm the oldest of four. Um, none of us are musicians. We never took any music lessons. I like to sing around the house or whatever, but um, I've never learned how to play an instrument or, or read music. But when I was in school, um, I was the nerd that you would go to if you wanted to know who was in a band, who was in what band. And I read liner notes and I memorized who all the members of the bands were. And I just mm -hmm. always kind of had this innate desire to know all that stuff. Nothing's and, changed, right? And I'm sorry? Nothing's changed, right? <laughs> no, it hasn't changed at all. I'm still, I'm still that way. It's funny, when I went to my 40-year high school reunion a long time ago, we were going around the table and, and they asked us to kind of give a, a little synopsis of what everybody remi remembered about you or whatever. And to a T, they all said, well, Diana was the music nerd. I mean, she was just so into it, you know, and, and knew all of the groups and the genealogy of them and who left who left Cream to go to, uh, you know, kind of the genealogy of Eric Clapton, how he would go in a band for one album and then leave. Um, uh, but it's just uh, the way I am. So you, you've got big band and jazz in the house. How did you segue into, I'm not calling it hard rock, because the Beatles certainly aren't, but getting into more contemporary music? Was that you because you were the oldest? Um, I think it's because. I loved live music so much and growing up in St. Louis at that particular time, there was a, um, well, for one thing, I, my boyfriend was the drummer in a rock and roll band. Mm. Um, and then there was a <laughs> festival, there was a festival over there called the Mississippi River Festival that was on the grounds of SIU, Southern Illinois University, just across the river from St. Louis. In the summer, they would have concerts every weekend and that's where we would go and hang out and that's where I saw Ike and Tina Turner and the Guess Who what? and Janis Joplin. I mean, anybody who was on the road and came to St. Louis back in that time period, and I'm talking like 1969 to 1972. Perfect if it was time. summer, they played the Mississippi River Festival. Whoa. Whoa. And it probably didn't cost but like three or four bucks to go, and it was outside, and we just would go. Yeah, that's, that's great. Did you... Were you purchasing records at that time? Were you? Um, I yeah, I have a lot of vinyl that my sister still has. I think, um, but I got an inkling then that I would like to be on the radio. And um, back in at that time, in St. Louis, I think it's still on the air. The first FM album station in St. Louis was KC Radio, and I went there between my junior and senior year which would be, be like 1967, 1968, something like that. And so I'd love to be on the radio. I want to be a DJ. Is there a school I can go to or will you hire me and teach me how to do it? And essentially the guy just kind of, you know, blew me off and said, you know, there are no girls in rock and roll on the radio, but can you type? Because we he really need that? Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. What? And uh, he essentially said, but we need somebody who can type and, and our, we need a receptionist. And, can you do that? Well, I could, but I didn't want to do that. Um, so I, I blew him off and I sh probably shouldn't have, I should have taken the gig as the receptionist at Casey. And then as times changed or I got my foot in the door, work my way into the studio, you know? Um, mm. but I didn't, I took another 45 years to get on the radio. Um, but, but you did it. Yeah, I did it. And now it's been 10 years. I mean, I'm kind of a late bloomer. 
I started my broadcast career at 59 and my podcast career at 65 or whatever. I just, you know, whatever. Better late than never. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about your, either your education or career outside of all this too. Um, did you go to school in St. Louis or? You I graduated from high school in St. Louis, which is if you've ever met anybody from St. Louis and you meet them or you meet, it doesn't matter where you are or how old you are. The first person thing that they will ask you is where'd you go to high school? <laughs> oh yeah. That's the first question. Um, oh, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I graduated from high school in 1969 and I, uh, did one semester of junior college and then got a job because I needed the money and mm -hmm. worked my most of my career working for lawyers and I became a paralegal back in the day when nobody knew what that was like in the mid 70s or whatever I went to Rockhurst mm -hmm. by then I was living over here and I went to Rockhurst University they had started a paralegal certificate program back in the 70s and uh, I was one of the first students in that program and uh spent most of my career as a paralegal. The last 15 years of my career was uh, with a title company and I was the commercial division manager for um, Stewart Title Company, which is a, a national, actually an international company. And I was mm -hmm. the commercial division manager for Kansas and Missouri. And I supervised a staff that closed commercial real estate transactions. So I yeah, I was in management, middle kind of middle management. And I was also an underwriter. I did risk assessment for the company. So absolutely nothing to do with music. Yeah, got you. But that's interesting. Go, go ahead, Chris. Uh, I had a quick question, which is, it's, it's on the topic of St. Louis. Um, and you said that everybody asks you where you go to high school. Mm -hmm. um, I went to, uh, I guess it was like elementary school through um, a little bit of junior high in St. Louis. And then I went to college in St. Charles um, at Lindenwood University. Yes. Um, do you think that the reason why everybody asked that is just because of how split up and like kind of divided St. Louis is? I do. I think that St. Louis is very cliquish, very clannish. Yes. And that's really important. And where I went to high school, although where I went to high school was 99.9% .9 white. Mm -hmm. When I went to school, it quickly turned in the seventies and has been 99.9% uh, .9 black. Yeah. Uh, for the last 40 years or so. And so when I go to, you know, somebody asks me where I went to school and I tell them, they'll look at me like, really? What? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. that school has been, you know, predominantly black for a long, long time. But I, I was in business for a long time and St. Louis was part of my territory when I was in sales. And it's a completely different world over there. Yeah. It's very cliquish and it, and it, and that, and that translates from high school into the business world as well. Um, if you're not in a particular sphere of influence or circle of influence, it's real hard to do business over there. Um, and I, mm -hmm. I, I much prefer the Midwest. My territory at the time also included Kansas City, Omaha, Wichita, Des Moines, Little Rock, and I would rather go to any of those places than go to St. Louis. I just yeah. never you were, my foot in the traveling? Mm-hmm. Okay. Chris, because I mean, I think Kansas City is similar in some ways. And it's kind of funny you mentioned going to Rockers University, like that Jesuit influence in Catholic oh, I, in St. Louis. Well, I, I went to I too. went to 
I went to Lindenwood, which was a Presbyterian school, I believe, but it was private. Mm-hmm. And it was also there a school that um, gives out scholarships like candy if you can play any sort of sport. Uh, mm. But as an academic school, it is not good. Uh, it's very bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you could play sports, mm-hmm. they will get uh, foreign kids and, and anything they can. Uh, if you could play a sport and they will, they will throw a scholarship at you. So that was like the only place right. I really could go to school. And uh, yeah, I, I lived in South County, uh, Arnold, Missouri, uh, for uh, some of my upbringing. And I'm very glad that um, I transitioned to Kansas City uh, to live with my dad for um, for that. Cause I don't know how I would have turned out. Like I definitely would have turned out as a different human being, I believe. Yeah. I think I so totally get that. I mean, I was, I was in North County, the complete opposite end of the town that you were from, mm-hmm. but I have one or two friends that I've stayed in contact with over the years that are still there and they're stuck. They're stuck in so many ways. And, and of course with the divide that we find ourselves in now mm-hmm. politically and socially, I hardly can talk to them anymore because I just, mm-hmm. it's just, it breaks my heart, um, but I'm not mm-hmm. going to be changing their minds anytime soon. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's. Let's, yeah, different. sorry, that was like way off topic and we went down a rabbit hole. We could totally cut that if we No, did. I love it. I just. <laughs> no, I, I see, I definitely see similarities here. Hey, let's go back to um, being a paralegal though. So you mentioned like people, maybe at that time didn't know about that position. Do you feel like skills that you had there or developed there, you know, you're applying now? I'm just thinking of, you seem to be a very meticulous, detail-oriented person in my brief experiences with you. Like, I'm gonna come to you to make sure I got my stuff together. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I had a great mentor um, in my early legal career and he saw something in me or potential or whatever. And he knew that I hadn't been to school. He really wanted me to go to, to law school, but I'd never been to college. So it just was too much of a, a barrier for me to, I didn't want to go to college. So just so I could go to law school. So mm-hmm. he mentored me. And I think that in, in a lot of respects, I, I ended up training a lot of the new attorneys that came in from law school. Um, Mm -hmm. He was great at writing. He he wrote a lot of briefs and he had a company, a little side company that summarized or synopsized, if that's a word, all of the uh, appellate court decisions that came down in Missouri and then provided that as a subscription service to attorneys and I read all of those and ended up being, you know, kind of the head, the lead editor for that. And so I learned proofreading and copy editing mm-hmm. and he was very meticulous in that and taught me a lot about how to be a good writer and um, mm-hmm. how to, if you could say something, if you were using 10 words to say something and you could get the same message across in two or three, do it in two or three words. So um, I still do that. I mean, I edit, I edit like crazy. Um, But, you know, the vernacular and the vocabulary when I I worked with attorneys for years and years and years, and they're usually, you know, very educated, smart people. Um, And that's where I spent my whole career. By the time I got into the title insurance business and was managing people and doing risk assessment, 
people quit asking me where I went to college or what I had a degree in. I didn't have mm-hmm. one. It was just all on the job training and right. just worked for attorneys over the years that mentored me and, and gave me as much responsibility as I could handle, you know. Were there any particular types of law or like cases real that estate. you were dealing with? Pretty much real estate. Real estate. Yeah, especially okay. commercial real estate. Yeah. I mean, I was actually and then that led for years. So the last 30 years, I was a licensed title uh, agent and I could examine titles. I could go to the courthouse and essentially do the genealogy for a piece of property and, and then examine that information and render, you know, an opinion. Um, Got you. I was just curious if, you know, you encountered cases that led to a greater awareness of social issues. You seem to be very aware of what's happening in our own community around the world. Maybe not so much with real estate. I'm just curious. Well, I mean, when you're in that business, the title insurance business, you never, you think you're going to, you think you know what you're going to be handling on any particular day. But when you're essentially dealing with real estate, all kinds of things come into play. Probate, railroad rights, indigenous people's rights, wetlands, easement rights, um, all mm-hmm. kinds of um, concepts um, come, come to bear. But um, as far as my kind of political, I've always been very, Unitarian in my my aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I just I, uh, sure. I don't I don't identify as a um, you know any particular religious affiliation or political affiliation. I just you know school of just nice person huh? nice person affiliation. Yeah, just good yeah, human just being. Be a, affiliation. Just be a decent human out. being. Jesus, you know. No, no. You just mentioned you know your schools in St. Louis. I imagine the population just like in Kansas City changed with desegregation cases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as we've become, some people become recently aware about our own practices here in Kansas City. I mean, it's, it wasn't just Kansas City. It wasn't just, it was everywhere. No, no, not at all. But I think, you know, being as, as invested as I have been in the music world, um, you come in contact with musicians from all over the world and all ethnic backgrounds and, you know, ethnicities and, um, genres of music and um, I have not done that much traveling I've never been to Europe um, but I find that that musicians are very well traveled and most of them are really smart and I think you know the more that you travel and come in contact with people the more um, tolerance that you have and the more understanding that you have that we're not that different and that we have kind of the same concerns and the same desires. And so. Um, 100% agree. And Chris, I know we've discussed on a couple episodes too, you know, when you look out on a night at record bar, for example, I'm sure some shows have a particular demographic, but in general, you just got mm-hmm. all kinds of people mm-hmm. that just love the music. This jacket don't keep me warm, no. This jacket don't keep me warm, it's nothing like your arms, no. But it's not like you used to do. This jacket don't keep me warm, that's what summer was for.
about that I guess maybe getting into KKFI maybe I shouldn't assume that's what led to getting involved to events like Folk Alliance and then eventually Heartland Song Network what made I you mean, take it that did, one? you know I um I was listening to KKFI when Saturday when they were doing the pledge drive literally like vacuuming and cleaning and stuff and mm-hmm. it was the the blues kitchen. It was John Sturkey's show, and um, I just loved the show and the music. And I was really into the blues then. I was going, I was, I was going to the Grand Emporium. Oh yeah. Every week, you know. And what um, years? Can I ask you? Sorry, what years? What were years would that be? That would be um, the Grand Emporium. I was going like throughout the '80s and the early '90s, right up until they closed. Yeah, me too. And so I, moved away I um, yeah, yeah. And so I um, was listening to the to the show, to the to Junebug's show, and it was um, pledge drive time. And they said if you donate X number of dollars, you can come in and do a guest DJ spot for two hours. Yeah. And I thought, I I'm going to do that. I had just finished chemotherapy. I'd just gone through cancer treatments, and you kind of get a wake up call that you're going to stop putting off things that you really want to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to donate the money and I'm going to put a show together and I'm going to go do it. And I did. And over the years, I did 20 of them. I did like three or four. Every time they did a pledge drive, I bought a guest DJ spot. And I went on to mm-hmm. different shows, um, different genres of music, and I just loved it. And they tried to get me to submit a, a show proposal, you know, years and years ago. But I was, you know... Uh, still working full time. My son was still at home. I just, the timing just wasn't right to do it. But then mm-hmm. in 2008, my partner at the time um, got cancer and passed away. And my son graduated from high school and joined the Marine Corps and all, and my dog died. I mean, all of that happened in 2008, oh, which geez. was a horrible year anyway. And I just decided I'm going to go ahead and do a show. So I made the proposal in uh, 2009 and went through the training to become, you know, because you have to do all of your own engineering and everything. And I started hanging out at the station every Friday night with Mike Lytle and getting trained. And then Art McDonald had a show at night called Blended from 10 to midnight on Thursday nights. And I went in every Thursday night for nine months with him and he had me run the board. And then we started, you know, just he let me be on the mic for a while. And I had to wait for an opening. And so then in 2010, there was an opening and I had about one week's notice. You know, are you gonna do this or not? And uh, by then I was way into Americana music and the Texas singer songwriter scene. And um, I made a proposal for the Tasty Brew to do Americana roots, bluegrass country music. And that was 10 years ago. Wow. Have you always been at the same time slot? 
I started uh, yes. listening to <laughs> I, four years ago. Yeah, I've been at that 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. on Tuesday mornings. Um, I do volunteer to cover other shows when it comes, like next Friday, I'll be doing Eclectics, which is 10 a.m. to noon. Yeah. Um, with Rebecca. I'm on record at the station and whenever there, there's a time spot that comes available that's midday now that I'm an old lady and retired, I sure would like to not get up at 4.30 in the morning to do this. Yeah, I actually, I think I've got three or four outstanding guest DJs. I did my one and only with Rebecca on Eclectics five years ago and it was more fun i took oh, my mother and has all you can come in and, and do it with like, me anytime in fact if you want to come in and do it the eclectics next week i can do it well and can you tell the audience i should ask mark about mark manning about this before you know people say i want to be on the radio well you've got to volunteer at kkfi there's a commitment oh yeah i want to say x number of hours it's only six hours not only be four hours they keep lowering it um, six hours a month volunteer and that can be answering phones during pledge drive that can go uh, I mean anything anytime they need a volunteer for anything and then if when you get a show all of the hours that you spend in preparation for the show posting stuff online going to committee meetings all that stuff counts towards those volunteer hours so it's not very hard to get the four to six hours in um, but you have to do that for well Six months in a row, I think. You have to have Speak those. for yourself. That, that's a pretty significant time commitment. And again, I see the, the, and again, there's so many great hosts there too, but you're, you're creme de la creme, Diane. I mean, you, you've got everything laid out perfectly. What would you say is like your process? I'm curious for the playlist. Is it just, you know, it's evolved over the years as the technology has evolved. I sometimes I can put together a show now in like really 10 or 15 minutes if I'm really booking it. Um, I do my show from my iPad mm -hmm. now. I used to pull all the individual CDs, right hand, write a list, take the CDs to the station and then come home and file them all away and you know, do it over and over again. I used to spend easily three to four hours a week in preparation for the show. Yeah. Um, sometimes I spend that much time now, depending on, sometimes it just comes together really quickly. Now that I've been doing it so many years, I'm on so many people's lists. I get so much new music sent to me every week. Um, mm. I could do a show easily two or three hours a week, with just the, what came in that, that week. Um, from local, from Kansas City artists? No, no sorry, from all over the place, because I have been a member of both, both Folk Alliance and the Americana Music Association for over 10 years now. So I'm on their list. I go to their conferences every year. I'm on a lot of mailing lists. And so I, I get a lot of stuff, both digitally and the physical stuff through the mail. And then, you know, I was going to three or four, five shows a week before COVID. And, and if I liked the artist, I would buy their merch you know so they could get to the next right place and but, you know now i put my show together through itunes and and um put a playlist together if i need some focus you know i'll pick a theme or something like that to try to get my mm. head around it um since i've been off for three or four weeks now with covid when i go back i've already got my show put together that i'm going to do and it's all new music that's come to me in the last three weeks Great. And it's a combination of both local music that's been released by our local artists, regional artists, and people from all over the world. It, do, it doesn't really... I play whatever I want, which is the great thing about community radio. 
-hmm. And um, it doesn't matter the genre. I'm, I'm all over the place. I mean, I'll play gospel and jazz. I just tell people, you know, if you don't like what I play, just hang around 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes, it's going to change. <laughs> Jump in, Chris. Uh, yeah, I just have uh, a question. You, you said you get to play whatever you want. Uh, and I feel like a lot of people, and maybe some, some of the younger listeners that listen to this podcast, maybe don't fully uh, know what KKFI is or like quite understand it. Do you guys just get to play whatever you want? Or are there any limitations to what you guys can play? There's no uh, limitation. There are some limitations in terms of language. Right. We cannot, you know, uh, broadcast anything that's got the seven deadly words in it or whatever. Well, we can. Or hate, we, yeah, or hate speech. Yeah. Or Feel free, Diana. It's really difficult because so many artists now do have explicit language and mm -hmm. they don't send us a radio edit. We can't right. play yeah um and so but a lot of artists don't even care or think about terrestrial radio anymore they know they're going to get it played on a streaming service or internet radio where that we don't have those those constraints and so um i mean that you know it is what it is um mm -hmm. but no there's nobody telling us what to play we can play whatever we want as long as it doesn't violate the fcc language guidelines and also, since we stream now, we cannot play, I'm going to get this wrong, but we can't play more than three songs from any artist in two hours, the, the, the same artist. Mm. Um, if we're playing from a compilation uh, CD, we can't play more than four songs off of that compilation, I think, at, in any two hours. Um, so that we do have those um, constraints. But mm. in, in terms of there's no uh, program director telling us to play certain music we can play whatever we want as long as we don't play more than three songs in two hours by the same artist um or say bad words mm, that's a great question chris i mean Diana, yeah. your your playlists are very representative of national international kansas city artists i love that if somebody wants to submit something to you is there a way for them to do that can we tell our audience Yes, they can do it through the uh, station um, by sending it to the station uh, to the attention of our new music librarian. And the new music librarian um, then puts it in our folder if it's a physical CD or if it's a digital CD or CD, they usually get a hold of us through our email and put us in direct contact with the artist. My email at the station is just Diana at kkfi.org. D-I-A-N-A. Mm-hmm, one N, Diana okay. at kkfi.org. Um, or you can send it physically to the radio station, which I believe is Post Office Box 32250, Kansas wow. City, Missouri, 64171, I think, the post office, if it's a hard copy. Kind of gotten to the point where I prefer digital um, if it's coming to me at the station, because I just have s so many CDs, I had to quit. Mm. Um, if I get a physical CD, I usually buy it directly from the artist, mm. um, okay. especially local local artists. But I'm I've kind of made the 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 transition to digital. Got you, and that's interesting because I hear both opinions from various radio hosts, DJs.
Sometimes when we think about songwriters, it's some person on a guitar. Right. And I don't think that's what your all's no. intention is. No, and I think that when folks see this spotlight showcase, they'll get that because we have oh. music from the Iberian Peninsula. We have folk music from Kelly Hunt. We have um, kind of the singer-songwriter troubadour in Chad Elliott. We have jazz from the FM duo. We have, you know, um, hip hop or rap, you know, from the Black Creatures. Um, and we have gospel and R&B from Isaac Cates. Mm -hmm. um, I think that people associate Kansas City musically with jazz and blues and that's it. And we have so much more to offer in Kansas City. And the, the uh, mission of the Heartland Song Network came, came to us pretty easily. And it is to elevate the art of the song, regardless of genre, through education, collaboration, and mentorship. And so how that's now evolved is the collaboration, uh, we call them COVID collaborations. You know, we had all these artists that didn't, they couldn't gig, they couldn't play. Um, we asked them to let us pair them with another songwriter and gave them the task of writing a new song and to submit it to us. And we would see that it got played on the radio and we would have it housed on our SoundCloud page. And we purposely paired people that were not in the same genre of music mm -hmm. and they didn't know each other. Mm -hmm. And the first COVID collaboration that we did was probably in the summer we had almost 40 songwriters sign up. We got um, a couple of dozen songs out of it. We did another one in the fall and nobody met in person. You know, that was also one of our re requirements because of COVID, do not meet in person, do this remotely. Mm -hmm. And we were just blown away by the, um, the product that they came up with and um, a lot of them had not used the technology before and hadn't done, done collaboration in that way. But almost to a T, they told us, thank you for giving us something to do and um, let us be creative. And I'm going to be collaborating with this person again in the future. Um, so that, that was kind of cool how the, the collaborations worked out. And another thing that we did from the very beginning and was Bo Bledsoe's baby that he really wanted to make sure that we did was education. And he has put on a series of webinars every month, um, drawing from the resources that he has literally from all over the world um, and done everything from songwriters in Nashville to people that do, that write for music, I'm sorry, for movies and television, um, people, uh, attorneys that, that, um, specialize in copyright and trademark law. Um, mm -hmm. Just kind of some of the basic stuff that if you're gonna be in the business of music, 
that you need to know in order to protect yourself and protect your product. Mm -hmm. um, that's really important to him. And so we've been doing those almost every month. I think we maybe skipped one month. And those are open to members only. And we, when we started the organization, we said, okay, for the first 90 days, we're not gonna have any membership fees. You just send the, you know, sign up by email and it's, gonna, it's free. Then we instituted some uh, you know, dues for a while. We thought, you know, we don't need to be doing that now because of the situation that most of our artists are in. They can't work. They're hanging on by a thread. So we just said, no, we're not gonna be a fee-based or membership organization. I don't know that we'll ever be. Um, so there's no cost affiliated to joining um, the organization. And you can just do that join through our website, heartlandsongnetwork.org. And yeah, I mean, we want to provide the education, the mentorship, the collaboration opportunities, but we want to also be the network or the organization that connects the dots um, between all aspects of the industry that supports our artists and artistic endeavors, regardless of what the genre of, of music is. So we'll see how it goes. I think as long as we keep our eye on what the mission is, we'll probably be just fine. I, I have to tell you again, the collaboration component this summer and fall, you know, I was blown away by the first round and then our artists, Chris Hutchison paired up with Chris Hudson and then Jade Green paired up with Christine and Yang. Chris, do you, have you, how can people find that, Diana? Is it just under all SoundCloud, the, the songs are on our SoundCloud uh, page, which is, uh, there's a page on the website there. Uh, if you go, I think that the tab on the website says song list. I think if you just go okay. to our SoundCloud page um, and all of those songs are out there on SoundCloud. Okay, I'll make sure to get that link in the description here. But to your point, both of our artists said they were so excited to have developed, you know, a new relationship. A new, a new friendship in addition to being able to create music. I cannot wait to the day when all these folks can meet in the same room. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. going to have the biggest blowout party. <laughs> I don't know whether we're going to do it at our house or what we're going to do, but um, the, we've been locked down since we started. Yeah. And um, Danny and I talk about this all the time. It, what's it going to be like when we can actually like have people over and have guitar poles in our backyard and you know all this stuff or to rent out a venue and put on a damn show you know that's yeah. what we want to do i know that there are venues that are out there that are open um and and um but i just i personally don't feel safe right now and having and going through covid myself right now i do not want to be responsible for giving it to anybody or having somebody get it at an event that we have sponsored in any way so we'll see i mean it's sure. it'll happen sooner or later but i i think that's a lovely idea though you know just to get the collaborators together when it's safe oh yeah we are it's gonna happen it's gonna and be a party <laughs> they love to actually see each other and then we might you know, just have to do it at the record bar <laughs> well yeah yeah when I, I feel like whenever record bar is like able to open and and like we're, we're all kind of out of the woods i feel like we're not even going to have a show we're just going to have everybody over gatherings yeah <laughs> and then you know the other area i think as far as education i don't think i've hit everyone but i did sit on the webinar with od blackman 
talking about licensing, songwriting, publishing. Just last week, you had um, Dominique Sanders, who I know more as a bassist and didn't realize he did so much production work. Yeah, he's a producer. He's amazing. Fascinating. And again, yeah, I, I was not able to, to be on that one, but I understand that it was phenomenal. And, you know, once those happen, those are available for members to watch anytime they want, you know, on, on demand. And so we are creating this uh, material and we are ever what we call evergreening it. We're providing we're, or we're establishing this cadre of or cache of of evergreen material because it is our intention in the future to go out there and get grants, get money to, to realize our mission. And we've got to be in business for at least two years before anybody's even going to consider us as a, as a mm-hmm. granting mm-hmm. us any money. Mm-hmm. And so I think that building the content that we are, the way we are and how quickly we've done it, um, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll be able to uh, seek grants from places like Arts KC and Mid-America Arts Alliance and whoever is, is funding arts organizations in, in, in the area to further well, our mission. You're smart to catalog all that. You've, you've also had an artist spotlight every month. Mm-hmm. I know everyone from Kadesh Flow to Amato Espinoza recently, Alexa. Um, Katie, Amo, Guillen, I mean, Katie Guillen is our artist of the month in January. Next month, our artist of the month is going to be V Tran. Um, great. So we're trying to, you know, cast a wide net. And we also, not every month, but we have industry spotlights where Mm -hmm. that's when we spotlighted you and we've done Chuck Haddock's of the Mars Sound Archives. That was great. Steve Tulipana as a venue owner. So again, the the goal is to show the network that's here, you develop it and connect the dots. Um, Kind of be the go-to clearinghouse for this. I mean, we can't be everything to everybody, um, but those people that we have on our board Bo Bledsoe, Aaron McGrain, Rex Pryor, David Williamson just joined our board, uh, Debbie Vilches, Julie Bennett-Hume. Um, we all have backgrounds in different uh, areas. Julie Bennett-Hume is an educator. Um, we're we're going to be talking to people like Christo Ray High School and, and other um, schools here in town about um, collaborating with schools and getting yeah. musical education because most school districts have either dropped their music education or it's been way, way, way cut back. And we've got yeah. members like Chris Hudson who teaches and Julie who teaches. Um, let's do that too. <laughs> it's been a common common theme on the program going all the way back to uh, Chris Michelle Bacon, really our first episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Center Cuts mission, vision aligns in a lot of ways with the what you all have started. We are so excited to see where you can go, hopefully in a COVID kind of free world. I hope um, so. I'm tired. Danny and I look at each other all the time and go, I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of this. Yeah, both of you are troopers. Anything else you want to mention before we start talking maybe about some good things in Kansas City? We can take a little break here too. Anything else about HSN or? Um, no, just, you know, I would just encourage folks to follow us on social media. We are on Facebook. 
Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Danielle Anderson is our social media director. She's a, an artist in her own right, does a performance under the moniker Danielle Ate the Sandwich, but she is our social media director and she works really hard and I think has done a fabulous job of putting on a public face on what we're trying to do, but I would always invite folks to follow us on social media to keep track of our webinars, our collaborations, uh, our events, our artists of the month, our industry spotlight of the month. Um, Facebook, Heartland Song Network. Completely want to echo those sentiments about Danielle. Your social presence is great, and I look forward to seeing what you are going to feed me <laughs> every day because it's, it's just constantly coming. Kansas City community, I always think of KKFI as maybe like the radio station that people in the in the music community in town, like 40, 40 to 45 and older listen to. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't know if you guys have seen like any sort of youth movement there or like younger people wanting to be involved we're, with we're it more. So, we're so cognizant of that and we try. Um, yeah we try and generally the younger people will take the overnight spots. The problem is since we are volunteer, right. Younger people have lives. I mean, yeah. they've got jobs, they're going to school, they're raising their kids <laughs> and to commit to doing a show every week, no matter when it would be on the air. Um, what we would, what happens is we have young people come in and they start the training process and then they just disappear. Because it's volunteer, they're, they're like, well, if I'm going to do this, I, sh I should maybe try somewhere else. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem. But it's work. So one of the it's things work. That, it's work, yeah. That's one of the reasons that we're really pushing the community podcast so hard because we, yeah. we're trying, I'm, the, the strategic plan is to become more of a media center than just a radio station. Mm -hmm. And so the public affairs programming all that stuff can be pre-recorded and pre, you know, pre-produced and then just broadcast later, or it can reside as a podcast on our, on our website. So that's how we're getting more young people involved is through podcasting mm -hmm. and also offering up the, you know, if you can figure out how to pre-record this and it sounds good, and you, you get, will do it consistently and make a program application, do it. We'll put it on the yeah. air. I used, uh, to, yeah. I used to record a, a radio, when I first started dabbling in podcasting, what I did was I just like 
set up a microphone and a, a computer and like played songs and like talked in between them. Uh-huh, and that was uh-huh. like the whole, yeah. just to get your feet wet into like being like, oh, I know what radio kind of sounds like. Let's try that. Well, yeah. I tell any, you know, I've had a couple of young guys come in on my show when like they're in the morning. It's so early. It's before school starts, <laughs> right. yeah. before jobs start. They'll come in and they'll hang out sometimes for months with me and I'll, I'll give them a, I'll give them a segment, you know, come up with a set of music and talk and they'll, they'll do it for a while, but they just, they can't hang and they, and they don't, and I get it. I understand it because I put it off for years because I was, you know, married, taking care of a dying husband and my kid was in school and I had a job. I mean, it just, the timing was not was not good but that's why we're trying to be more flexible and the technology is available to us now we can pre-produce this stuff and and mm-hmm. and load it up and then do you think it's do you think it's mostly the volunteer aspect where where they think you know there there might be another way to actually like make it a career rather than doing yeah, it through KKFI? I think it's the fact that it and and you will find this in all community radio stations the ones that are still left and are still the median age is definitely boomer age. Um, yeah. Sure, sure. But it's a good place to, to volunteer and to, to kind of get your feet wet and help, especially the public affairs programming, like the Jaws for Justice and some of the other really top, uh, current event topic related shows. Um, those are good ways to get your feet wet on, on how to produce uh, content. Yeah do the engineering and come up with a timetable and conduct interviews. It's, it's all good practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I worry about the longevity. Uh, we've been talking about trying to get young people involved. I think that um, my idea was always, we need to affiliate with a school in some way and, and get that pipeline going from school, whether it's high school or college. Um, yeah. Cause in high school, don't you have to have some volunteer, not, not all high schools, but I feel like uh, some of them, you have to do some volunteer work, don't you? I think it depends on what, you know, kind of like module you're in, you know, if you're in a a business related module, yeah, but um, it's hard, you know, to get the the kids to get off campus and to come to the radio station. Um, Well, there's two campuses not very far uh, that I can think of. I'm, I'm living on one right now. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing about like uh, UMKC is they've got a radio station. KCUR is, is, is but it's not, it's not, um, it's not, it's not, it's radio, but it's like, it's like talk radio. It's not, uh, yeah, it is now. I mean, they used yeah. to have music programming, uh, except for Chuck Haddix, the fish fry on Friday and Saturday nights. There's yeah. no music programming anymore. Yeah, that's, and uh, a friend of mine, Hartzell, who was at 96.5, is now over at KCUR. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I went to tune in to listen to him and it was just like, I don't know if, if he would, he had posted a picture from later or earlier or whatever. He said something about being on, on the air and I went and listened and I was like, this is just like, they're just playing something from NPR and not from KC. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, that we've actually, we've taken on some of the programming, uh, like the American roots syndicated show out in New Orleans. Uh, KCUR dropped that. We picked it up um, several years ago. Uh, there's some programming that we're running now that KCUR dropped. Um, but I mean, it's a conundrum for sure on how we're going to, how we're going to keep going. But, you know, Bill Sundahl's a young, to me, he's young. He's only 40, <laughs> whatever. Um, his idea is to try to make it more of a media center and to make it 
place for training. We just spent a bunch of money on a new production studio and it's going to be supposedly open to the community. If you want to learn how to broadcast, learn how to podcast, we're going to teach you how to do it. And yeah. if you want to sign up. Um, so, um, you know, we'll see. I don't know how much longer I'm going to do either the show or the podcast because the Heartland Song Network has kind of become a legacy project for me now. I don't, mm-hmm. like I said, I'm going to be 70 years old this year. I don't know how much longer I'm, I'm going to be around or want to be that, in, you know, that engaged, but um, I see it as an opportunity to start this organization, to fund it to the extent that I can, um, and to turn it over you know, make it sure that it's viable that when something happens to Danny and I, that it'll, it'll outlive us, you know, it'll keep going. I am so enjoying this conversation, both of you. (laughs) I think Diana, you know, about the volunteering there, just getting the consistency for people are interested. People want to be on the radio. That sounds cool, right? Whether it's music or speaking about a topic you don't have to be on the radio there's so much production that is is attendant to keeping a radio station on 24 7 i mean you've got you know an eft committee which is i think stands for um electronics fixtures technology something like that if you mm -hmm. have other skill sets and you have no desire to be on the air there are plenty of opportunities for you mm-hmm. to volunteer. If you are good at organization or you have spreadsheet skills or whatever it is, we can use it or they can use it. Now I'm like fascinated. Well, I, I, I want to talk to Tom and be like, so what, how? You just started a radio yeah. show from your basement? And it's an amazing yeah. story. There is a website that's just about the history of KKFI. I think it's even just called KKFI history or something like that, that he has documented the history starting out start it took 10 15 years to get that license it's very hard to get a hundred thousand watt license and mm-hmm. we've we've had to work really hard to hold on to it because there believe me people would would love that license mm-hmm. and it came mm-hmm. real close to being lost about 15 years ago it's going to be bought they're going to sell it i think to the catholic church Ugh. and Sorry. <laughs> yeah i mean it was bad it was bad so it's it's a, it is a very unique and unusual asset that we have here. I don't know that there are any other 100,000 watt community radio stations in the country. And mm-hmm. um, most community stations are small watt college affiliated. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we are really kind of unique and unusual. And I hope that they can figure out how to pivot. And, and Bill Sundahl gets it. He knows I mean, and I think that there's a certain amount. The board is much younger. Uh, Leslie Pories is our is the chairman of the board right now. She's a young woman that travels all over the world, um, and is very very smart. Um, it's it has changed a lot in the ten years mm-hmm. that I've been there in the governance and in the strategic planning and what they're trying to accomplish. So I I have a lot more faith in their ability to continue now than I did five or 10 years ago. Yeah. But I think Chris touched on something that one of our other guests, Brenton Cook from Haymaker Records had mentioned too, like 
how do we get younger audience into venues, into live music? Because, you know, no offense, we start seeing people my age, 40, 50. And um, you, you need to develop that young audience to keep those places thriving. And as it's, you mentioned, you know, Diana. I, my son, I'm, only 30, and he's a fireman, Marine, ex-Marine. I don't know that he's ever been in a venue. He does not yeah. go to see live music. You would never know that that was my kid <laughs> at all. Um, just don't want to spend the money. The kids that are 30 or younger have their face in one of these 24 seven. Right. right. Won't but even put them too. down to go see a show. I mean, but again, you, I think you wonder too, though, is that what we just talked about with schools, not offering those programs where they just have simply not been exposed to watching someone perform, holding no. an instrument in their hands, no. learning the lyrics to a song, understanding skills. So to go Never back been to your idea, yeah. partnering with some schools, offering them some programs, mentorship, right? I think that's mm -hmm. your third prong. Maybe, you know, and again, you can't do everything, like you said, whether it's KKFI or HSN, but making some efforts, partnering with businesses to help these schools out, you, you got to build it up. Uh, we have just so much talent here. It's just yeah. Crazy. I think I think there's all kinds of um, Chris Hudson who teaches at young audiences, Kansas City young audiences. He mm -hmm. has developed a curriculum to teach math and science using music. Uh, I haven't seen it or whatever, but for like fourth and fifth grade level, um, mm -hmm. that's the kind of stuff that needs to happen, and that's what we're open to. Also, um, one of the things that we've done is approach the city of Westwood, which is where Danny and I have, where we live. And we uh, um, approached the mayor and the city council in Westwood and thought, well, how can we partner with the town or the city that we live in to figure out who in our own community is here that is in the music ecosystem? And if they're here, what can we do for them and what can they do for us? Mm -hmm. Totally. With the city? That's I, I'm, I'm working that for the city of Kansas City. And Missouri, if we like, can work, if we can work through the, that, if we can work through that mechanism with our own town where we are on a small scale, then we can then use that as a model to go to KCK or Overland Park or, you know, wherever. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I got inspired by a group called Sound Diplomacy out of the UK that works as consultants to develop, help cities develop being a music city. And um, their contention is that really any city or town can be a music city. But here's the criteria that you have to have to be able to do that. And it's 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 pretty interesting concept, but you have to have a buy-in from the government. Um, mm. And you have to do things like, if you're gonna be a city that's going to wanna bring corporations into your community, one of the things that you have them do is require them to set aside a certain amount of money for the arts. What a crazy idea. Crazy idea. So we'll see. I mean, we've, Danny's, Danny is like the big picture guy. He's always at 30,000 feet. And I don't see things that way. I get mired down in the minutia, you know, in the details mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Um, but 
I think anything's really possible. The thing about so-called music cities now like Austin and Nashville and LA and even Asheville, North Carolina, they've become so expensive that nobody can afford, the, the artists can't afford to live there anymore. Right. They've, so I think part of that plan is how do you build into that the support systems ways to keep artists in housing? And, well, affordable housing, number one. Right. But number two, you have the whole community be responsible for and help pay for it. You know, the, this, the art is worth something. They need to get paid. You mm -hmm. know, the, 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 the towns like Austin that give Dell computers or somebody like that $50 million worth of incentives to move into Austin and build a new campus or whatever, why not make them okay give them the incentives but they have to give five million dollars to the local charities that support music right right instead of the tiff that you're going to give out make part right. of that go back because to people schools. what makes a place livable where people want to live here is affordable housing access to music and the art i mean it's, it's it's not just one thing it's kind of the total package kind of thing mm -hmm. and i don't know what the answer is i mean you know guys aren't not are, uh, musicians aren't making any more money now than they did 40 years ago in terms of gigging in a place like the record bar i don't think um mm -hmm. you know the, the guy that i was dating back in the 70s that played gigs around kansas city they were i don't know they never made they never made more than $150, $250 a, a gig. Yeah, like local artists aren't making that, but national artists, that's where they're making all their money right now is touring yeah. and um, licensing and publishing deals. Right. So it's like their, their, their main uh, money because sales, that's not doing it anymore. Sure. But you've got to start somewhere though, Chris, right? You're not just going right. to just yeah. jump into Sprint Center. No. Well, and Hit there's other ways to make money, which we, you know, some of our, our, our guests uh, that have been our webinars have told us there's this whole world of sync licensing yeah. where you create new content for art, for the movies and commercials and television. There's a whole world out there that I didn't know existed. That's, that's what Isaac from really good money that, that pays good money. Um, and you can win awards like Grammys and stuff for it. Um, mm -hmm. there, there are, there's more ways to make money making music than putting your shit in the back of a van and traveling for 30 years, eating bad convenience store food. I mean, there's mm -hmm. just more ways to do it than that. And mm -hmm. that's one of the things that we want to be able to do is to let people or to educate and our artists how to take better care of themselves and in, in all kinds of ways. Right. But don't let them know there's other options because just think about it. Watch television or watch a movie or watch a commercial and think of it without, if you can, take the music out of it. Mm -hmm. It would be so freaking boring. It would be unwatchable. Right. You would not be able to watch whatever it is if the music weren't there. Mm -hmm. So it's so part and parcel of what makes a place livable and what makes something watchable and, and enjoyable. Strike up a conversation 
with a lonely waitress Two sugars on my toast, yeah It's that kind of morning Not much to do or say Individuals go their own way People change like seasons change, yeah It's that kind of story We were more than smoking to mirrors Oh, I've touched you myself with these two hands I can feel my heart beat loudly Oh, I miss you myself with my heart Now you see me, now you don't we were going to take a break, and then Chris started asking, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> and I think we kind of answered the question, like, what does Kansas City need, but, or, or something needs to change, but I really would rather just get Diana's thoughts on that if there's something else besides the whole salad that we tossed out there. And then if there's something you want to tout, just something you enjoy about Kansas City, it doesn't have to be music-related. Let's try to get those two little thoughts in there. And yeah, I think that, you know, the challenges that this, or, that this city has, that this area has, is that we straddle a state line. We have dozens and dozens of municipalities and counties, and it's, it's hard to get, you know, anybody to agree on anything or a consensus. I mean, the only kind of regional organizations besides MARC, which is the Mid-America Mid Regional Council or the Midwest Arts Alliance, I don't know how you put together a cohesive plan, you know, when you got all these different governmental entities in this one place, you know, you go to, to Austin or um, other cities, it's one city, one county, one, I mean, you're not dealing with all this stuff that you're dealing in our municipal area. So I think our region mm -hmm. in and of itself makes it really difficult to come up with any kind mm -hmm. of a cohesive plan or, or way to execute mm -hmm. it. Um, but it's also kind of what makes us unique. Um, I just think that we have world-class assets here that are not getting the time and attention they need. We've got the Kaufman Performing Arts Center. We have the Conservatory of Music. We have the music up at Park University, that program up there, which a lot of people don't know anything about. The Harriman Jewell series at William Jewell College. Um, we have... I'm stealing this. This is not original to me. We have world-class Olympic level musical athletes here that we are training to be furniture movers. We have to be furniture movers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> wow. You're going to go to the conservatory or William Jeweler, whatever, spend hundred thousand dollars on an education. And then what are you going to do with it? Um, you're going to maybe get a gig playing, in the orchestra at the dinner theater or play at the black dolphin six nights a week to know i mean what are you supposed to do with all of this knowledge and all of this training mm -hmm. um, and and they and they relegate themselves to that and and i there needs to be the next level of um opportunity for these people to show mm -hmm. what they really do um, the thing I love about Kansas City, and one of the reasons I choose not to leave, is we have everything I want here in terms of music. But not just jazz. I mean, yes, we've known, we're known for jazz, but there's so, so much more. We've got world-class everything here. Um, the Ensemble Iberica organization, those people are all world-class musicians mm -hmm. and all different kinds of 
genres of music. So um, I think we have the, the raw material or everything we need to be a first class so-called music city or area. Um, but the, the, fra the fractions that there's just so much, there's so many, like I said, so many different governmental entities, unless there's going to be some sort of bi-state commission or regional commission that I don't know about that can kind of be the, the catalyst for that. I mean, that's one of the reasons we call ourselves a network, the Heartland Song Network. We don't want to be defined by just Kansas City. We don't want to be confined by genre. We want to try to figure out how to pull a lot of this uh, together. And I guess that's probably my, the passion that I have. I think we have the raw materials and in, in the tools that we need to make this, to take this to the next level and to be a place that people want to live. I mean, we want our artists to stay here and raise their families here and spend their money here. We don't want them to go off, going off to Austin and Nashville and LA starving to death for years and then decide, you know, I need to go <laughs> because they're starting to yeah. come back now because the technology being what it is. And this lockdown has proved a lot of that. If you can figure out the technology, you can stream from anywhere and put out a pretty good product and don't have to go out on the road anymore. People like Hayes Carl and Bandy Heathens and some of these other artists that I love have, uh, I would venture to say they have figured it out, figured out the technology. They're doing shows every week. I bet they're making more money now than they've ever made. Mm. And they're not mm. having to go out on the road and miss their families. And like I said, eat horrible food and not know what city. I mean, I think just mentally and physically, hopefully they figured it out to mm. where maybe the new paradigm is not going to look like the old way of touring and all that other kind of stuff. I'm intrigued so much by that thought of the fractured municipalities here, which of course we see a perfect example of in our reactions to COVID, you know, for oh, example, yeah. Yeah. different state lines can have venues open till different times. Some people have to wear a mask here and there. And so can just get, the states, yeah. but from one municipality to the next. Yeah. Kansas Cass County, Wyandotte County. County. Mm -hmm. Kansas City and is so, five different counties. I mean, how, I live in Kansas City, but I live in Platt County and it's got different rules than Clay County, the different rules from Jackson County. Different. I mean, it's just. Yeah. So even if one county or city government decided to get behind it and appoint Diana Ennis, you know, music czar, czarina, I suppose, that's only going to be relevant in that, you know, geographical area. And it, it's going to need like a commission. It's going to take like in St. Louis, growing up in St. Louis, they had what they called the bi-state, bi-state transportation system or something like that. And so the bus system and a lot of transportation issues all came under the purview of this bi-state commission because mm -hmm. it was not getting done otherwise. And maybe it's going to have to be something like that. There is a regional commission whose mission and whose mandate is to be an advocate for the arts. Um, mm -hmm. And there may already be one out in the Midwest Arts Alliance or the Mid, Mid America Arts Alliance. You know, I think that that's, they are, they are Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas. Um, you know, something like that. It's just, mm -hmm. 
time and money. That's all it takes. <laughs> yeah, time. I was just going to say time and money. And I'll be honest, I get confused with various organizations sometimes or acronyms. Like I can't keep things straight. Um, and maybe that's just wishful thinking that there could be one entity that actually could manage that. But again, these are common themes Chris and I have discussed in other programs. Like, you know, there are people in Johnson County listening to coming into the city to listen to music. And how, how do you tap into that? How do you build into their school system? And again, north of the river, et cetera, et cetera. We've got some geographical barriers too, but you're absolutely right. I do think and mention some other programs, it is still fairly affordable in Kansas City, although things are changing. And people, I think, do realize that value. Like, I'd, I'd rather be here than be starving to, you know, make ends meet living on somebody's couch in New York for five years. Um, but on the other hand, it also is kind of a safety net, too, where people know they can keep another job here as an artist, as a musician, and, not, and that maybe holds them back from going uh, full tilt into, into yeah, I've, I've asked artists about that. I just interviewed a group, a, a duo, husband and wife called Barnaby Bright. That oh um, yeah, that has, they've lived in New York and in Nashville. And now they've come back home to Kansas City. And I, I asked them, "Do you feel it's necessary to live in New York or Nashville to be in the music business? Do you, is is that a given? Do you have to do that?" Um, they kind of were of a mind that it is important to go there at some point because of the network that's available there. doesn't mean you have to stay there. And, um, but it is important probably to go and be there for a while. Sure. If you can sure. somehow, some way. Um, so Barnaby Bright has moved back to Kansas city. Julia Othmer just moved back to Kansas city. Um, oh, has she officially? Yeah, she just moved back. Um, the woman that did an interview with us for our first webinar is a woman who's never lived in Kansas City before. She's been in LA for 30 years and she's one of these sync licensing gurus that I told you about. Yeah. She's, she just went through, you know, a horrific divorce and everything and she just had to get out of LA and she heard about how great Kansas City was. She didn't know anybody here except for a few people and she's living here now and she's able to ply her craft and do her art from here. And I think we're probably going to find more and more people doing that as the word gets out. Um, because it's encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to hear more and more of that. And I've, I've known kids that have gone off to Nashville. Some of them are still there. Um, but they, they put in their two or three years of starving there and then they end up coming home and, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, trying to use this as a base. One of the things we've, we've done a survey, Heartland, we've surveyed our membership and I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but something like over 60% of our respondents, they consider themselves professionals, professional musicians, mm -hmm. but they also only are gigging part-time. Mm. So, um, to me, somebody is a professional, that's their gig, you know, that's what they do full time. That's yeah. how they make their yeah. living. But there's, there's not a whole lot of people mm -hmm. that are based here in Kansas City outside of the classical musicians that are with symphony or an orchestra that plays a lot um, that can say that they're full time musicians and that's how they 
they make their living. So we'll see. There's all kinds of possibilities, but we have incredible um, educational, you know, root educational opportunities here with the conservatory and Park University. Definitely. Um, we have, I think we have great venues. I mean, we, we are missing kind of the two to 300 person venue um, or maybe three to 600, you know, that three to 500. We'll have a lot of those, but yeah, it's hard. I don't know when everything opens up again and it's going to be, and it's safe to go out again. I, I think people are going to really, they know how much they miss it. And I think that the venues are going to be really crowded for a while, well, it's a, but I don't know can, how you get over the, yeah. the threshold of where people still don't want to pay a cover charge. And if they do pay a cover charge, they don't want to pay more than five bucks or whatever. It just, it's just drives me nuts. Well, that's a bet. That's the, the craziest thing about being downtown now and not over in uh, Westport. It's just how many people you'd have walk up and be like 20 bucks. Like, yeah, there's five, there's, 350 people in there. If you want to come in, you have to pay $20. Like, well, sorry, I mean, this, it, sorry, this it, isn't Johnson County. Me, I've, sit there in the, I've sat there in the brick, yeah. watched so many, mostly young people come in and they, they want $5 or $3 or whatever it is. And they turn around and walk out the door. They're not even going to pay $3 a person to come in and listen and listen to the music. I just, it's crazy. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a, we're going to go down another rabbit hole, yeah. I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> Let's not go there. You both, hey, Diana, just thank you so much. Today you're welcome for so much. Effort. I know you're dealing with a life-threatening situation. Right now. I shouldn't be laughing. You just look great. You sound great. I'm like, Oh, thank you. Well, I did put on a little bit of makeup for you, and I took a shower and washed my hair, which <laughs> has not been the case well, I have days. I have not bathed, which is the advantage of doing these audio podcasts, Chris. Um, really appreciative of you adding your skills and not showing my face. You can certainly show Diana or any of our other guests. Here's to a great year for you personally. Um, love what you're doing with KKFI. Please don't stop doing that anytime soon. Your guest hosts have all been great, but missing you. Thanks for getting Heartland Song Network off the ground. I, I feel it's been an awesome year for you all. And mm -hmm. Super excited to see where you go and how we can support you and partner with you. Um, looking forward, everybody remember our dates of Folk Alliance. Heartland Song Networks presented a really great evening. Diana mentioned all six of the artists. Uh, there's still, I think, time to apply to do one of your presenter showcases. Yeah, um, I was on a Zoom meeting right before this, and there's a big, huge learning curve um, for the artists that want to do a private showcase and how that's right. going to be. That's going to be my focus the next couple of weeks is make sure that I get, and they recorded this thing today, to make okay. sure the artists that we are going to be presenting know how to do it, how to do it well, um, and do it right so that they can take a, advantage of this essentially world-class opportunity. Um, yeah. What's the deadline for that? Um, it's supposed to be February 1st to actually apply for an individual showcase if you want to do it on your own and not be affiliated with a presenter. You can do okay. both. You can sign up as an individual showcase and you can uh, apply to do ours as well. Um, it's my understanding that it will be February 1st to sign okay. up to do that. We might have a little bit longer to actually okay. provide things like the um, 
what they call it, the watchable or the watchable Earl for your stream. Mm -hmm. um, because unlike a regular folk Alliance conference, I don't think there's going to be kind of a, a printed program per se. Everything's going to be online. So there'll be a lot sure. more flexibility and deadlines to get information in there. Um, because they don't have a, a print deadline, but, uh, Right. Yeah. yeah. This. So I'm just saying this episode should come out on next Tuesday, the 26th. Is that right, Chris? So you just have enough time to maybe get something in, but you can also find a bunch of information on Folk Alliance's website. Um, we've got a special guest from them coming up soon, but I'm not going to say that as yet. Uh, both of you, Kansas City, stay safe, stay strong. Hopefully everything goes smoothly tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll catch you here real soon. Ready? Peace out.